and welcome to the first in a series of podcasts from the corporate, tax and employment teams at Bristow's. In line with the UK's bid to become a global leader in innovation, we're seeing an increased focus on deals driven by pioneering technology. In our Tech M&A podcast series, we're going to explore some key themes arising on M&A and investment transactions where technology is the dominant value driver. My name's Julia Cockcroft. I'm a partner in the Bristow's tax team, and I'm joined today by Chris Devlin, a senior associate in the corporate team here at Bristow's. Thanks, Julia. Hi, everyone. In today's podcast, our focus will be on AI, artificial intelligence, very much a hot topic, not just in the technology sector, but in the world news generally over the past few months, particularly given the launch of ChatGPT and similar programs, and as more and more businesses seek to integrate AI into their day-to-day operations. In terms of investment into AI, the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has been extremely keen recently to publicly champion Britain as a global leader in the field of artificial intelligence, even claiming on a recent trip to Washington in June of this year that you'd be hard-pressed to find many other countries other than the US in the Western world with more expertise and talent in AI. So in this climate of the government seeking to publicly open the floodgates for investment into AI, we'll be looking at a couple of specific pieces of legislation and the impact they might have for businesses, either those already in the UK or who are looking to enter into the UK market, and who are considering pursuing transactions within the AI sector. So first of all, I'm going to talk about how the National Security and Investment Act 2021 could impede transactions involving companies active in artificial intelligence. And we'll talk about what active means and also some trends that we've seen in recent months in this area. And then after that, I'm going to be talking about potentially valuable R&D tax reliefs that might be available to businesses harnessing the power of AI to ensure that those reliefs are properly taken into account as part of deal negotiations when buyers and sellers are pursuing transactions in this space. So, Chris, first off, can you tell us exactly what is the National Security and Investment Act and why have we seen such a focus on AI as a sector in connection with that legislation recently? So, Julia, as we've mentioned at the top of the podcast, Rishi Sunak has been very keen to advertise the UK as a leading investment hub for AI. But perhaps as a counterbalance to that encouragement for investment into AI, there's also an emerging concern over the dangers of AI as an issue of national security, which we're seeing not just in the UK, but in all major Western nations. So, for instance, in the last week or so, Parliament's Science, Innovation and Technology Committee have published a report on AI with basically the core message being that whilst there are many opportunities for AI to be beneficial, the technology also presented many risks to long-established and cherished rights. And national security was specifically called out as one of the most serious threats. The committee essentially said that some people think AI is a major threat to human life and that governance must provide protections for national security. And it's in this context where the National Security and Investment Act 2021, and maybe we'll call it NSIA for the rest of the podcast, just for some brevity, that might actually be seen as a key regulatory hurdle for businesses who are active in AI and planning a transaction, whether that's seeking investment or a full sale, or in fact, if you're a buyer looking to invest or acquire a company in this space. So the NSII came into effect about 18 months ago, just over 18 months ago on the 4th of January, 2022, and essentially it established a statutory regime for government scrutiny of corporate acquisitions and investments for the purposes of protecting national security in the UK, with AI being a particularly targeted sector and one we're expecting to be increasingly targeted under this legislation going forward in the current climate. Thanks, Chris. What powers exactly did this give the government for scrutinising deals? And was it just companies incorporated in the UK? So it's really a broad range of powers, Julia, so that the NSA 
you know, they gave the government the ability, first and foremost, to call in for review any transactions that were deemed in scope, where there's a reasonable suspicion that it could give rise to a risk to national security. But in addition, they could also impose remedies to address risk to national security, which included they could impose conditions on the transaction or they could prohibit or unwind the transaction itself. And they could also impose sanctions for non-compliance with the NSIA. That includes fines up to 5% of worldwide turnover or 10 million pounds, whichever is the larger, and imprisonment of up to five years for the acquirer. So a real broad range of powers for the government. Uh, The legislation introduced a mandatory notification regime for transactions involving companies active in 17 so-called key sectors. And one such key sector was listed as artificial intelligence. And another worthwhile point to note is that the NSIA also accommodates a voluntary notification regime. So if parties want to seek advance clearance where they're concerned that they might be impacted by this legislation, they have the ability to do that. So on your question, Julia, of does it just affect companies who incorporate in the UK? Well, the short answer is no, because under the legislation, a qualifying entity is a company which carries on activities in the UK. So that would include a UK incorporated entity, but also an overseas company that does so from um, that does their business from a regional office or a research and development facility within the UK. And it also includes uh, a company which supplies goods or services to people in the UK, which again, as well as a UK incorporated company, could be an overseas company that produces goods for exporting to a company within the UK or is responsible for distributing them to the UK company. Wow, that's a pretty huge reach. Um, How does the NSIA specifically deal with AI? So the government has produced some guidance, which can be found on the gov.uk website, concerning the scope of the artificial intelligence part of the regulations. And in short, the process involves ascertaining whether an entity has such AI activities, so whether an entity is so-called active in AI, and it involves two steps. So the first step is to consider whether the entity carries on research into or develops or produces goods, software or technology that uses AI. And in this context, AI is defined as technology enabling the programming or training of a device or software to either perceive environments through the use of data, interpret data using automated processing designed to approximate cognitive abilities, and or to make recommendations, predictions or decisions in any case with a view to achieving a specific objective. So assuming that step one is satisfied, there's then a step two element, which involves considering whether the entity's AI activities are being used for one or more of the following applications. So the identification or tracking of objects, people or events, advanced robotics or cybersecurity. But irrespective of that two-step process and the guidelines that the government's published and what constitutes being active in AI, I think we can say that given the AI boom in the last year or so, with most businesses now looking to integrate AI in some guises, you can definitely see the potential for some gray areas and interpretation. And we're seeing a lot of potential targets or purchasers of AI businesses actually erring on the side of caution and design and and deciding to utilize this voluntary notification scheme I mentioned earlier. So to get that advanced clearance, and I'll talk a bit more in a minute about the timing impacts that notifying uh, notifying under the NSAA can have on your potential transaction. That would be really helpful. I think um, it'd be great to hear about kind of current uh, examples or um, situations that you've seen uh, where the legislation has treated AI transactions in a specific way recently. 
Sure. So in late July, the Cabinet Office published its, its second annual report on the NSIA, um, which was the first report to actually cover a whole year since the legislation came into force. So it covered the period from the 1st of April 2022 to the 31st of March 2023. And it mainly includes a breakdown of the numbers rather than anything substantive. So, for example, the number of mandatory, the number of voluntary notifications, the total number of notifications by sector, and the number of notifications by the origin country of investment, the number of call-ins and the final notices received. So, unfortunately, like last year's report, the initial report, which only covered the first three months of the legislation, it doesn't go beyond those statistics to give us any guidance or analysis on those notifications that have been called in or where final orders have been made. Um, So this means parties are still relatively uncertain whether they fall within the regime, which seemingly has resulted in a lot of notifications being made with comparatively few final orders then being given by the government. So given the increased prominence of businesses who are using AI and some guys, we expect this sector in particular to be affected by that lack of certainty over the circumstances in which they should notify. So just to give you, Julie, a general overview of the latest figures revealed by the report. So uh, the Secretary of State received 866 notifications, but 93% of these were cleared within 30 days. So going back to that timing concern, I think given that relatively short uh, time period, just a a month in most cases, as I said, many potential acquirers are are erring on the side of caution to actually go through that voluntary notification process, um, given it will have maybe a limited impact on your overall transaction timetable. So of all the notifications received, 180 were voluntary, 691 were mandatory, and 15 were retrospective, so made post-completion of the transaction. And the number of call-in notices that the government issued was 65. So if you compare that to 65 out of the 866 overall notifications, that's less than 10% of all notifications overall. Uh, and over double those were, were mandatory notices against voluntary notices. So again, it kind of suggests that voluntary and erring on the side of caution means that your transaction is more likely to get cleared within the 30-day time period. And then the number of final notifications given was 57 from the government and final orders, which is basically the imposition of um, either conditions or a full-out kind of um, blanket um, no on the transaction was 15. So if we look at the sector focus on this latest report and for the purpose of this podcast specifically at notifications related to AI, so of the mandatory notifications, about 16% related to AI was the highest proportion, 47% related to the defense sector, mm-hmm. which for obvious reasons is quite applicable to national security. Of the voluntary notifications, AI accounted for only around 7.5% of these, whereas the highest proportion, 17%, related to advanced materials. Again, that's quite a hot topic in the field of national security. And about 16 to 17%, again, were either related to defense or military dual use. Uh, Of the call-ins, 11% related to AI, so it was fourth overall in terms of the sectors. And the final orders, 13% related to AI, so again, it was fourth and behind military and dual-use advanced materials and defence. But still some big numbers overall in that, Mm. if if you think about it. On that basis, have you got any particular tips for businesses active in AI who are considering whether or not they should go through the voluntary notification and what timing impact that would have on their deal? Yeah, so when I was explaining the numbers there, perhaps it doesn't suggest that AI is kind of at the forefront of, of kind of the, the high-risk sectors compared to more traditional national security issues like defense or advanced materials. But 
So it doesn't appear to show a particular drift towards AI, AI transactions being the most prominent in terms of notifications we're seeing or the call-ins or the final orders compared to those more traditional issues of national security. But I think we should caveat that this latest report only covered the period up to 31st of March 2023. And as I said at the beginning of the podcast, the recent publicity attributed to AI in particular and the general growth in this sector that we're seeing, this suggests that the scrutiny by the UK government of the acquisitions relating to AI for national security reasons will only grow. So therefore, in the, in the near future, we would expect to see a greater proportion of the notifications, call-ins, and final orders being related to the AI sector in proportion to the overall notification figures. So it's important for potential acquirers to bear in mind that target entities that simply make use of AI technology, which most businesses now are implementing, uh, that will not be caught by the monetary notification regime. Rather, the first element is to go through this two-step test to consider whether the company in question carries on research into or develops or produces good software technology that uses AI. So we anticipate that as notification trends develop further, we'll gain a bit of further insight and hopefully some more published government guidance beyond just the the core statistics, which will help businesses and help us to advise businesses making this distinction when assessing whether they fall within the AI sector under the strict parameters of the legislation. So given the relatively positive statistic in the latest report that all notifications, whether that's mandatory or voluntary, were either called in or cleared within the statutory time limit of 30 working days, that Again, as I said before, it means that parties to a transaction who have concerns over whether the AI features of the target could require clearance under the NSIA, even if they don't think they strictly meet the two-step test, they could opt to make a voluntary notification for comfort without it in all likelihood dramatically affecting the transaction timetable, as I mentioned. And just a more general note to uh, mention on this report, because it's often um, an issue that clients ask us about in terms of what we're seeing from the notification trends is in terms of jurisdictions. And quite often in terms of national security, there are certain red flag jurisdictions that automatically tend to trigger call-ins, etc. And the report does show that unsurprisingly, China maintains its status as the most red flag jurisdiction um, because essentially, if you look, it amounted for less than 5% of notifications. But in terms of the final orders, 8 out of the 15 involves um, China as the jurisdiction, so relatively high proportion. And that included four out of the five ultimate prohibition or unwinding decisions for the transaction itself. But an important thing to bear in mind is that transaction parties should certainly not refrain from notifying based Mm -hmm. on jurisdictional reasons alone. So certainly shouldn't take comfort if you're sort of the transaction or one of the parties is located outside of these traditional red flag jurisdictions. So if you look at all the acquisitions called in, 32% 32% involved acquirers associated with either the UK or with the UK was 32% and 20% with the USA. So mm-hmm. the government, I think, are keen to show as well that this is a acquirer agnostic approach under this legislation to, to exercising its its call-in powers. So that's just a very brief overview of the latest <laughs> NSIA and um, how it applies to, to, to some acquirers um, involved in AI. Thanks, Chris. I'm sure our listeners have found that useful. I learned a lot. Um, so moving away from NSI for a minute and just uh, potentially speaking about something a little bit more positive, <laughs> I wanted to change topics and focus on deal upside that certain businesses might be able to take advantage of when they're involved in, in AI. 
Absolutely. That's, that's much more positive than uh, <laughs> I've just explained. Uh, so, Julia, could you tell us how the R&D tax credits relief work and who can benefit from these reliefs? Yeah, just as a very brief overview, the UK has got a really very generous R&D tax regime, or rather it actually currently has two regimes, one for small and medium-sized businesses and the other for larger corporates. And under the SME regime, as it currently applies, companies can obtain an enhanced deduction when they're working out their profits that are subject to corporation tax. And it's a pretty huge number. So the deduction is 186% of the qualifying R&D expenditure that they're incurring. So this generous deduction could translate into either an immediate corporation tax saving if the company happens to be profit making at the time, or it just generates a tax loss that can then be used you know, going forwards to offset about uh, offset profits in future years. As an alternative to creating this kind of tax asset, this tax loss, one particularly generous feature of the SME regime is that it can be converted. This enhanced deduction can be converted into a payable tax credit. So that's um, of either 10% or 14.5% of the deduction, the enhanced deduction. Effectively, this means that um, it's a really very, very valuable cash flow tool for many R&D intensive SMEs because it basically allows those companies to fund their vital expenditure. There's a slightly different scheme for larger companies, which is known as the Research and Development Expenditure Credit or RDEC, and that operates differently and is slightly less generous, but it still generates a 15% additional tax saving on qualifying expenditure um, and can also result in repayable cash amounts in certain circumstances. So under either regime, companies can qualify if they are undertaking R&D activity, which broadly means any project that's seeking to achieve an advance in science or technology. And once you meet that gateway test that you are trying to seek out innovation, um, there are various rules that then tell you exactly what expenditure that the companies incurred will qualify for relief under the regimes. Mm, I see. So why have R&D reliefs been in the spotlight recently? Well, it's definitely been a turbulent two years for R&D. There's been a number of announcements, firstly made in the autumn budget back in 2021, and then again in autumn budget 2023. And essentially, the government's been trying to refocus R&D reliefs after a kind of general perception that these regimes weren't sufficiently well targeted at kind of proper um, innovation. Uh, And there were some winners and losers from that refocusing process. So the life sciences sector was particularly vocal about some of the downsides it saw in some of the key reforms, including some um, suggestions that were designed to limit the scope uh, on, of what expenditure you could claim relief on when that expenditure was relating to activities taking place outside the UK. However, there were some upsides too, and many taxpayers were really pleased when the government specifically permitted the costs of data licenses and cloud computing services to be included as qualifying R&D expense. And they also specifically, for the first time, recognised that pure maths could qualify as R&D. Now, most recently, so July 2023, the government's published an outcome to its consultation that's been looking to kind of replace our two regime system with a single simplified merged R&D scheme. And the outcome to that consultation was essentially, we're still thinking about it, uh, with a decision reserved for a future fiscal event. But basically, we could be seeing even more change on the horizon because it's still technically possible that we could see a kind of completely revamped or merged R&D scheme from as early as April 2024. So in looking a bit more at the specific AI focus, um, can AI development activity qualify for the R&D relief? 
So AI in and of itself does not automatically qualify for R&D relief. There must still be a core scientific innovation at the heart of the project to pass the R&D gateway test. However, the positive changes to the R&D regime that I mentioned a moment ago, so that's the inclusion of data licenses, the inclusion of cloud computing services, and the acknowledgement of pure maths as an R&D activity, all clearly help businesses who are developing or using AI or quantum computing to have a better shot at accessing these generous R&D reliefs. I see. So very much in keeping with this kind of public face of modernizing to encourage investment in in AI and these, these new technologies. Um, so, Julie, do you have any tips for buyers or sellers of AI companies when it comes to dealing with R&D reliefs in the context of, for instance, an M&A transaction? Yeah, I think the best thing any seller can do in order to maximise the overall value that their AI technology brings to their company uh, on a sale is to get really good advice on what tax reliefs they are actually entitled to and to then ensure that those sort of tax assets, as we call them, are clearly articulated to potential purchases and then are taken into account by interested bidders or buyers when they're determining the right price to pay for the company so spelling out the value of the assets and your expectation as a seller that you want value to be attributed to them at term sheet stage so very early on in the process can be so useful in avoiding painful negotiations and trying to kind of force value for the tax assets as the deal progresses or the you know worse still if you just completely ignored the value and effectively handed over those tax assets to the buyer for free So much as you might not want to, and uh, I could understand why, I think speaking to your accountant, lawyer or tax advisor kind of early on about exactly what R&D relief or frankly, any other tax assets sit within your company and particularly interrogating that position in the light of the recent R&D changes would actually be time well spent. On the flip side, I think I would caution any buyer of an AI business who's being encouraged to try and pay something for a tax asset to think really carefully about the value to you, to you as the buyer um, of that particular tax asset. And what I mean by that is that although the seller might be very uh, persuasive in saying that, you know, this R&D relief is worth X, think about what it really means to you and in your business. Those those reliefs may not actually be that valuable to you if you've got your own tax losses that you would use or your own tax reliefs that you could access. So don't just be driven by, um, you know, what, what the seller is trying to tell you the value of the asset is worth. Think about it critically from your own position as a buyer and think about what the target business is going to do when it's integrated into your organisation to see whether or not there is really meaningful value there before you agree to pay anything. And also, I'd just say, think really carefully about contractual protections you might need if you do end up paying for any tax assets like R&D release. Um, think about what you will do if those assets prove not to be there when you actually get down to it and try and make your claim and, and try and save the tax. So we can help and, and lots of lawyers would be able to um, work with you to actually uh, design your contract in a way that means that you don't end up overpaying for something if it's actually the asset's not there at the end of the day. Excellent. Well, I find that really interesting. Thanks, Julia. Hopefully, hopefully our listeners did as well. Um, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for. So thank you for joining us in the first podcast in our tech series from the Bristow's corporate and tax team. If you'd like more information on upcoming episodes or any of the topics we've discussed on today's podcast, you can find this on the Bristow's website. Thanks, Chris. And thanks, everyone, for listening.